First Baptist Melbourne podcast, making disciples here and everywhere for the glory of God. If you have your Bibles today, and I hope you do, would you turn with me to Isaiah chapter 42. Isaiah 42. Uh, This is the time of the year uh, where, as we saw in that video, we have uh, Christmas candles in our window, Christmas lights on our houses and on our trees. And in this series, we're talking about the light that all of those lights were intended to point us to, the real light of Christmas, our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ, who was born for us. And so each week in this series, uh, we are looking at passages in the Bible that speak about Jesus as the light. Uh, Last week, we saw in Isaiah chapter 9 that Jesus is a light shining in the darkness. And this morning in Isaiah 42, we'll see that Jesus is the Christmas light to the nations. We're going to talk about what that means for us and for our lives as well. And so let's read this passage uh, right from the Bible as we begin Isaiah 42, uh, starting in verse 1. And if you don't have a copy of God's Word with you, the words will be on the screen uh, behind me. Isaiah 42, verse 1. Behold, my servant whom I uphold... My elect one, in whom my soul delights, I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the Gentiles. He will not cry out, nor raise his voice, nor cause his voice to be heard in the street. A bruised reed he will not break, and smoking flax he will not quench. He will bring forth justice for truth. He will not fail, nor be discouraged, till he has established justice in the earth. And the coastlands shall wait for his law. Thus says God the Lord, who created the heavens and stretched them out, who spread forth the earth and that which comes from it, who gives breath to the people on it and spirit to those who walk on it. Verse 6, I, the Lord, have called you in righteousness, and I will hold your hand. I will keep you and give you as a covenant to the people, as a light to the Gentiles, to open blind eyes, to bring out prisoners from the prison those who sit in darkness from the prison house. I am the Lord, that is my name. And my glory I will not give to another, nor my praise to carved images. Behold, the former things have come to pass, and new things I declare. Before they spring forth, I tell you of them. Let's pray together. And Father, we do thank you today for the light of Jesus that has broken through, the light that you have given to us. Father, we thank you that it is a light that is too bright to be contained. That it is a light that shines to the farthest corners of the planet. To every nation, every tribe, and every tongue. Father, would you speak to us this morning by your word? Father, help us to hear. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. If you look in your Bibles with me at that very first verse that we read, verse 1, it's clear that Isaiah wants us to look at something, or uh, more precisely, that he wants us to look at someone. He writes, Behold, look, my servant whom I uphold, my elect one in whom my soul delights. Now, there has been a lot of debate about just who this servant is that Uh, Isaiah wants us to behold. 
Uh, if you read the rest of the book of Isaiah, that word servant is used an awful lot. Sometimes Isaiah himself is referred to as the servant of God. Uh, there are times where other folks are referred to as God's servant. Sometimes Israel collectively as a nation is referred to as God's servant. And so some people think that's what's going on here in Isaiah 42, that he's speaking about Israel uh, as a nation, as God's servant. But as you begin to study this particular passage, you can see that that cannot be the case. Uh, this uh, servant uh, is unlike Israel and unlike any of us. This servant is a perfect, righteous servant who never fails. In some ways, this servant is the embodiment of everything that Israel was intended to be but was not. As one person put it, this servant is the answer to Israel's failings and weakness. And I would add that this servant is the answer to our failings and our weakness as well. This servant that Isaiah is writing about is none other than our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, our Messiah. In Isaiah 42, uh, it was written 700 years before the time of Christ, and it's one of four servant songs in the book of Isaiah. This is the first of the four, the most famous is the fourth song that we read in Isaiah 52 and 53, where we read about how this servant would also be a suffering servant, and by his stripes we would be healed. This is the servant that he speaks of us to us here in Isaiah 42. And it's amazing to realize as, as we're reading this that we're reading a description, again, that was written hundreds of years before Jesus was born, that uh, through his prophet Isaiah, God is telling us what the Messiah would be like and what he would do once he came to us that first Christmas night. And so as we look at the words of this great prophecy about this coming chosen servant, there are three aspects that uh, we need to notice today. Three aspects of what Jesus would do when he came. And first off, from Isaiah's words here, we can see the way that God's chosen servant leads. The way he leads. That he will bring forth justice to everything. And before we get to that, and that description of justice here, I don't want us to miss how beautiful this description of Jesus is in verse 1. Now really, verse 1 is a Trinitarian verse. All three members of the triune God that we worship, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, are all there in verse 1. Remember, God the Father is the one who is speaking to us. And He is speaking to us about His servant, His chosen one, that is God's Son who was born for us. God the Father says He delights in God the Son. And then He says, I will put My Spirit upon Him. It's a reference to the Holy Spirit, who would anoint Jesus and would lead Jesus every step of the way in his earthly ministry. Probably some of you are already thinking about this, but as you read verse 1, it reminds us of that day in Jesus' earthly ministry when he was baptized in the Jordan River. And you remember as he was being baptized that a voice came from heaven, the voice of the Father that said, this is my Beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. It's just like Isaiah said here, My soul delights in you, my Son. 
If you recall, as Jesus came up from the water at his baptism, the Holy Spirit came down upon him like a dove, just like God said he would do here back in Isaiah 42. I have put my spirit upon him. And so what does this verse teach us about who Jesus, the Messiah, would be? We know he would be God's servant. He would be God's chosen one. We know that he would be one that God the Father would delight in. We know that he would be one that God would put his spirit upon, that he would be spirit-filled and spirit-empowered. And then at the end of verse 1, we also read about something that the Messiah would ultimately do. It says, he will bring forth justice... Notice the verse doesn't end there. It doesn't just say he'll bring forth justice. It doesn't even say he will bring forth justice to his own people, justice to Israel alone. No, it says he will bring forth justice to the Gentiles, or as can be translated, to the nations. We're going to come back to that theme of the nations in a few moments, but notice that right here in verse 1, from the very beginning of this passage, we read that the salvation that would come through this chosen one was a salvation that would go beyond the boundaries of Israel, that would go indeed to the nations. But the word justice there is a key word in this passage. It shows up three times in the first four verses. Again, we see it in verse one. We see it at the end of verse three when it says, he will bring forth justice for truth. And then we see it for the third time in verse 4. He will not fail nor be discouraged until he has established justice in all the earth. Now, what is justice? Well, justice basically means that all of God's just and right ways are being lived out all the time by all the people. Essentially, perfect justice on the earth would mean a perfect human culture the way that God always intended it to be. A culture where there is no injustice of any kind. And as one scholar put it, this servant is the only hope for a perfectly just world. Now just like we saw last week in Isaiah 9, There are parts of what we read here in Isaiah 42 that were fulfilled the first time that Jesus, our Messiah, came. But then there are aspects of this prophecy that will be be, uh, realized and fulfilled the second time that Jesus comes, when he rules and reigns on the earth. When we look at this promise of a perfectly just world, obviously we know that promise has not yet been fulfilled. And when we look around us and look at the world around us, there are injustices everywhere. We live in a world that is most definitely not living in accordance with God's just and true ways. And sometimes, I don't know about you, but sometimes that can be discouraging to me. Uh, There are times where it's hard even to watch the news, isn't it? Because of how much is messed up in this world. I know this last week I was reading a, a national Uh, news website and as I read down the headlines one jumped out to me from the page because it was a picture of the front of my high school the alma mater that I went to right here in town on the national news site where there was a brawl on campus and 10 students had been arrested it's not good it's not a sign of justice that all is being done in accordance with God's truth and I wish And I know you wish that a brawl on a high school campus was the worst thing that we saw on the news. 
but it's not even close. There is so much evil in this world. And it can be it's discouraging again to us when we see it until we remember the words of verse 4 that our Savior does not get discouraged and our Savior will not fail. He will not stop until one day, just as he has promised, he will bring perfect justice to the earth. One day, all evil will be defeated. One day, church, truth and justice will rule and reign. And God wants us to know it, to know that it's coming. But also, church, God wants us to give the world a preview of what is to come. And that's why I would say this to you. God wants us, his servants, to lead. Not only will his chosen one, his chosen servant, lead us to justice, and one day to a perfect justice, right now, God wants us, his servants, who are called by his name, who are filled with his spirit, to lead out and to seek justice as well. In Micah 6, 8, God tells us that he wants us to do justly. And he wants us to fight against injustice wherever we see it in the world. He wants us to have the same heart for those who are victims of injustice that he himself has. Now we know that that perfect justice will not come until the Lord returns, and yet we still fight against injustice and we stand up for those who are victims of it. There's so many that I could mention, but I think even particularly today about the unborn I think particularly today about those who are victims of human trafficking and sex trafficking, those who are being abused and used and taken advantage of, and Christians should be leading the way and crying out on their behalf. Christians should be the one breaking down the door in Jesus' name for those who are held in bondage. That's part of spreading Christmas light and involves fighting for what is right and fighting against what is wrong until Jesus comes and makes every wrong right. One aspect we need to see is how God's chosen servant will lead. But also in this passage, we see how he loves, how he loves everyone. And you can see that especially in verses 2 and 3. Look at that with me. It says, he will not cry out, nor raise his voice, nor cause his voice to be heard in the street. A bruised reed he will not break, and smoking flax he will not quench. You know, in the first book in the New Testament, in a book called Matthew, we read that Jesus fulfilled this prophecy here in Isaiah in the way that he came. And how he loved the people who were around him. The story is found in Matthew 12. If you want to look at that later, we're going to read it in just a moment. There are some religious leaders who were angry at Jesus. They were angry at Jesus not because he was breaking any of the real law of God, because Jesus didn't do that. He perfectly fulfilled the law of God. But they were angry because he was violating some of their little man-made rules and rituals. They were angry on this occasion because Jesus had healed a man with a withered hand who came into the synagogue on that Saturday. And that was one of their no-nos, according to the religious leaders. And so these guys left in a huff and determined that they were going to figure out how to destroy Jesus. And Jesus knew that. He knew what was in their heart. He knew what they intended to do. And that's when Matthew chooses to quote this passage 
from Isaiah 42. Look at this with me. This is from Matthew chapter 12. But when Jesus knew it, he withdrew from there. And great multitudes followed him, and he healed them all. Yet he wanted them not to make him known that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying, and then he quotes from our text in Isaiah 42, Behold, my servant, whom I have chosen, my beloved in whom my soul is well pleased, I will put my spirit upon him. He will declare justice to the Gentiles. He will not quarrel nor cry out, nor will anyone hear his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break, and smoking flax he will not quench, till he sends forth justice to victory, and in his name Gentiles will trust. You know, if there is a group of people out there who is wanting to kill you or wanting to kill me, I don't know about you, but I'm pretty sure my instinct would be to quarrel and to fight or at least to do whatever I could to protect myself, but that's decidedly not what Jesus does. Now, Jesus responded to them, sometimes with strong, even sharp words to correct the false things that they were saying, but in general, Jesus did not cry out. Jesus did not quarrel. Jesus was not a rabble rouser. He was not an instigator. His ambition was not to drum up a big crowd so that he could march on the Romans and overthrow him. That's not why he came. And that's not how he came. You remember our Christmas story of how Jesus came to the earth. And in many ways, he lived as he came. He came to a young couple. He came in a stable outside of a little town. No fanfare, no crowds. There's a newer Christmas song, and I love the words of this song. It says, He came like a winter snow, quiet and soft and slow, falling from the sky in the night to the earth below. That's how he came, and that's how he lived. For the most part, he did not come with the fire or with the earthquake, but he came with a still, small voice. And he also came with a tender, compassionate, and gentle love. That's why Isaiah said, a bruised reed he will not break, and a smoking flax he will not quench. What that means is that when Jesus encountered people in his earthly ministry who were cracked or breaking, he did not break them in two. When Jesus encountered people who were like a flickering candle about to be extinguished, he did not snuff what was left of the flame out. No, when Jesus encountered broken people, people who were barely hanging on, and he encountered a lot of them, he had mercy on them. He met them where they were, and he made them whole. Jesus reached out his hand and touched a leper that no one else would get anywhere close to. Jesus healed a woman who had been sick for 12 years who reached out her hand in desperation to touch the hem of his garment. Jesus healed a demon-possessed man who was forced to live out by himself in the caves because nobody wanted to live around him. Jesus healed the blind man. Jesus made the mouth of the mute to speak. All of these were bruised reeds and flickering candles, but Jesus was gentle and kind with them. And friend, Jesus will be gentle and kind with you because he loves you. Maybe you feel like a bruised reed today. Maybe you feel like a flickering candle about to go out. 
I don't know all the reasons for that. Maybe you feel that way because someone in the past has abused you and wronged you. And you still live with the scars of that. Maybe you feel broken and and bruised today and you know that at least in part that's because of choices that you yourself have made that have led you to the point of brokenness. Maybe you just feel like you've been burning the candle at both ends and your strength is about to peter out. And if you're honest, you feel like throwing in the towel and giving up and you wonder who you can turn to, but friend, you can turn to Jesus. He loves you. He won't extinguish that flame When you turn to Jesus and you give your brokenness to Him, not only will He not break you, but He will heal you. And He will redeem you. and He will make you whole. Jesus said, come to me and I will give you rest. That's that's who Jesus is. That's how Jesus loves. And again, God is calling us, those of us who know Him as Savior, to treat others the same way. God wants us, His servants, to love, to love just like Jesus loved. Because we live in a world that can be harsh with bruised reeds and flickering candles. We live in a world that pushes hurting people out of their way, but it should be different with those who know Christ. Jesus wants us to love with a gentle, compassionate, merciful love. And you know, at this time of the year, at Christmas time in particular, there are a lot of flickering candles. There are a lot of bruised reeds, a lot of people hurting. And I'm afraid that sometimes, even as Christians, we can just pass right by. Because we're so busy, we have our own agenda, we have our own schedules, all the stresses of the holiday season, we feel that just as much as anybody does feel that, anybody else does. And so we can just, we can just push right by. We can fall into that trap of just going through this season with blinders on and not being mindful of those who are around us, who are hurting, who are bruised, who are flickering. We can treat them the same way the world does, roughly, as if they're a waste of time, as if they're just in the way. And you know, sometimes all it takes to show God's love is just to take some extra time. Just to ask a question, how are you doing, and to really mean it, and to wait for an answer. To show sincere care, to show that person that they are created in the image of God, that they matter to God, that they matter to you. That's how God would have us love as He loves. We've seen how our Messiah, God's chosen servant, would lead. We've seen how he would love. But thirdly, Isaiah tells us here how God's servant also lights up. That he is the light of the world. Verse 6 is really the key verse of this whole passage. Look at that again with me. It says, I, the Lord, have called you in righteousness and will hold your hand. I will keep you and give you as a covenant to the people, as a light to the Gentiles. This is God the Father now speaking directly to God the Son, speaking directly to the Messiah. And he says to him, I, the Lord, have called you in righteousness. I love that because the Lord Jesus did live a perfectly righteous, holy life. Jesus said, I always do those things that please the Father. None of us have always done the things that please the Father. 
That's the good news of the Bible, that when we come to know Jesus as our Lord and as our Savior, as it tells us in 2 Corinthians 5, Jesus takes our sin and pays for it at the cross, but then he gives us his righteousness. Because I know Jesus, when God looks at me, he looks at me as if I live the righteous life that Jesus Christ lived. Is that good news to anybody else here today? That's ultimately what this text is about. He also says in verse 6, I'm going to give you, again, speaking about Jesus, I'm going to give you as a covenant to the people. Jesus himself is God's covenant. He is God's promise to us. I don't know about you, but, but this makes me think about that night in the upper room before Jesus went to the cross when he took that special meal that we call the Lord's Supper with his disciples for the very first time. And he took the bread and he took the cup and he said, this is a new covenant. It's a new covenant in my body and in my blood. And the truth of the matter is that Jesus' death on the cross and his resurrection is the basis of our covenant with God. That none of us in this room as sinful people can possibly have a relationship with God unless we come by way of the cross. Jesus is our covenant. And when Isaiah wrote these words 700 years before the time of Christ, this is ultimately what it was about. God was thinking about the cross. And here's the part that I don't want us to miss. How far did this gift this promise extend? Was Jesus just given to the Jewish people? And clearly here the answer is no. Now of course we know that Jesus was himself Jewish, that he was a descendant of Abraham. Our Savior came through his line as the Messiah for God's chosen people. And yet the words that he writes at the end of verse 6 are so important for us, particularly those of us who are not ethnically Jewish. When he says here, he was given as a light to the Gentiles. That's everybody who isn't ethnically Jewish. To the nations of the earth. And Isaiah says the same thing just a few chapters later. In Isaiah 49, look at this verse with me. It says, indeed, he says, it is too small a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Judah or Jacob, and to restore the preserved ones of Israel. I will also give you as a light to the Gentiles. There's that phrase again, that you should be my salvation to the ends of the earth. You know, it's neat to think about that word salvation there in the Hebrew. The word is Yeshua, the same word that Jesus' name comes from. Essentially, God the Father is saying to God the Son, you will be my Jesus. You will be my salvation to the ends of the earth. And in the New Testament, when Jesus is born, we see the beginnings of the fulfillment of that promise. Shortly after Jesus was born, there's this beautiful story in Luke chapter 2 where Joseph and Mary take Jesus. At this time, he would have been about six weeks old. And they take him to the temple in Jerusalem for his purification rite. And we read that there was an older man living in Jerusalem at that time named Simeon. And God had told Simeon that he would not die until he saw with his eyes the Messiah, the Christ. 
And on this particular day, the Holy Spirit led Simeon to be standing in the courts of the temple as Joseph and Mary walk up with the baby Jesus in their arms. And the text says that he saw them and that he took Jesus and held him in his arms. And this is what it says next. Look at verse 28 here on the screens from Luke chapter 2. It says, he took him in his arms. He blessed God. And this is what Simeon said. Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared before the face of all peoples, a light to bring revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. It almost sounds like Simeon had been reading the book of Isaiah, doesn't it? When Simeon was looking at the baby Jesus, he knew he was looking at the salvation of God. He knew he was looking at the one that Isaiah had said centuries earlier would be a light to the nations. And so he quotes those words. If you go back to Isaiah 42 for just a moment, look at verse 7. It says some of the things that this light would do for us. He would open blind eyes. He would bring out prisoners from the prison, those who sit in darkness from the prison house. Of course, Jesus literally and physically fulfilled these words as he healed the blind and set people free from everything that held them captive. But we also know that these words were spiritually fulfilled because that's everyone's greatest need, is to find forgiveness with God, to be healed on the inside, spiritually. Spiritually, when we come to know Christ, our eyes are opened. Spiritually, we get out of the prison house. Spiritually, we come out of the darkness and into the light. And that is what Jesus, the light of the nations, has done for every single person in this room who knows Jesus as your Savior. But you know, when Isaiah wrote these words that Jesus would be a light to the nations, he did not just mean that Jesus would be a light back then, 2,000 years ago. And he didn't even just mean that Jesus would be a light to you and to me in this room. He meant that Jesus would be the only hope, the only light for the nations right now, today. He isn't just our only hope. He's the only hope of the whole world. He is the only hope, the only light for those right now who are in India. The only hope for those who are in China. The only hope for those in Africa. The only hope for those in Europe. The only hope for those in Central America and South America. He's the only hope for those who are right now bowing down to false gods who cannot and will not save them. He is the only hope for 1.7 billion Muslims in the world who are bowing down to Mecca five times a day to a God who will never save them. He's the only hope today to 1.2 billion Hindus in the world who are trying to please millions of gods who cannot hear and cannot see. He is the only hope today to over 500 million Buddhists in the world who are hoping that one day nirvana will come maybe on their next reincarnation, but it will never come. He is the only hope. He is the only light to more than two billion people in the world who have never even heard the name of Jesus Christ, their Savior. He is the light to the nations today. And because he is church, God wants us, he wants his servants 
to take the light to the nations. And Jesus has commanded us to do so. In Matthew 28, very clearly, he said, Go, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. The Lord Jesus has called us, his servants, to go and to make disciples. You know, in Isaiah 42, when it said that Jesus is a light to the nations, I want you to to think about that for a moment with me. You know, in Jesus' earthly ministry, did he travel to all the nations? No, essentially he lived in one. Now, he went to Egypt as a small child, and he traveled to some of the surrounding areas around Israel, but for the most part, Jesus lived his entire life in that little nation in the Middle East called Israel. And so in what way would Jesus then be a light to the nations when he never physically, personally went to the nations? Well, I think you already know the answer to that question. The answer to that question is found in the book of Acts. Because God's plan was that the 12 disciples who followed Jesus would share with others, who would share with others, who would share with others, and the gospel would go from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria and to the ends of the earth. That was God's plan. And here's what I want you to hear today. It's still the plan. In fact, here is the truth. God has no other plan for the light of Jesus to reach every nation other than us, his church. And there are all kinds of ways that we can be involved in that, in the light going to the nations. We can be involved by giving, as we just did a moment ago, to support those that God has called out. We can be involved by praying specifically for the nations, praying for particular nations where God is at work, groups of people who have not heard the name of Christ. And also, of course, we can be involved by personally going. I believe there may be some of you in this room that God is calling to personally go and perhaps to take your family with you as you go. Now, there are opportunities to go for short-term missions, to go for a week or or two weeks. At our church, we have all kinds of opportunities to do that, and you're going to hear a lot more about that at our Engage Mission Week coming up in February. So I won't go into all of that right now, but but, but especially today, I want to speak to those of you in this room that God might be calling to go for something longer than a week or two. Perhaps to go for a few months as Brother Larry and Miss Gail are going in the spring of this year to South Asia. Maybe to go for a few years. Maybe to go as the clays have for a lifetime. I don't know how God might be speaking to you, but I just want you to hear just just practically, there are a lot of ways that you can go. One of those is is through our own denomination's mission board, the International Mission Board, the IMB. There's lots of ways that you can go, and you see some of those on the screen behind me, ways that you can go short-term, ways that you can go mid-term for a few months, up to two to three years. They have a a one program called Journeyman, specifically for those who have just graduated from college, who would say, you know what, I'm going to give the next two years of, of my life to serve the Lord somewhere among the nations for the sake of the gospel. 
That there are programs for those who are senior adults, those who are retired, who can go for a year or two years and be a part of a missionary team in the work that they are doing. If you're healthy and you're able to go, why not pray about going? And then there are opportunities to go long-term for at least three years or four years or even for a career. In fact, right now, I want you to hear this. Right now, for the first time in a long time, there is more funding than there is people to go. Perhaps God is calling someone here to go. You know, there's also opportunities with our own churches, partnerships. You heard about South Asia, opportunities to go for a few months or a year or two and be a part of the missionary effort, not in a random place around the world, but in a particular place where our church has been led on mission in the slums of South Asia or in a major city in East Asia where you could go for a year or two and be a teacher and help share the gospel. There are opportunities to go to Ecuador, work with our missionary partners there for a semester or for a summer, and just see how God will bless you and how God will use you. You know, you don't have to have it all figured out, but God wants us to be available. He wants us to be open and willing to go wherever he would lead us. I'm going to ask David to come and just to begin to play for us, and and I just want to ask you, uh, this invitation is going to be a little different than, than we normally do, and honestly, I can't even remember the last time that we've done something like this. But what I want to ask you to do, we're going we're to stand in a moment, we're going to sing together, worship together. But I want to ask you, if you're here today, and God has been speaking to you, maybe he's been speaking to you for a while now, you know, before this morning, he's, he's been tugging at your heart, speaking to you about missions. And maybe he's spoken to your heart this morning, and you, you know, I, I, I don't know for sure, but I, I know at least I need to be willing. I, I need to be open to whoever God would send me. Again, you don't have to have the details figured out of, of whether for sure he's calling you or how, how long or to where. God will work all that out, but he wants is a willing, open, available heart. And so what I'm going to ask you to do, if that's you, if I'm describing you, and God is dealing with you in some way about missions, And you know that he wants you to posture yourself, to be open to him, to call you perhaps to a longer duration. I'm just going to ask you to come as we sing this song. And I want to ask you just to stand right here across the altar. We're we're going to write any names down. This isn't, I can embarrass anybody. There might only be one person that comes. There might be 10 that come. I don't know who's going to come. But as we sing this song, I'm just going to give you an opportunity to come and just to stand here. Maybe you're a child, maybe a teenager, maybe a 20-something, maybe a senior adult. And you would just come and stand here and say, God, here am I. Send me. I'm open to whatever you want me to do. And as after we've sung and given a minute or two for whoever comes, I just want to pray over those who come here at the altar that God would use you and bless you and make his will for you clear. Let, let's stand together and sing together. You come as we sing. Just wait here at the altar as we pray.